This is Paul T. Taylor, and you're listening to the Then Is Now podcast, you lucky so-and-sos. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. Hi, this is Rigor, host of Then Is Now Podcast and The East Meets the West. I just wanted to say thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. We appreciate your support as we grow the audience for our shows. You could find our links to our Patreon page as well as our Tee Public page at havenpodcasts.com. With Patreon, you'll get a lot of exclusive stuff, including our monthly pop culture newsletter, cool gifts, discounts for Tee Public, and our special exclusive show, Then Is Now Filmmakers series, in which we interview directors, producers, writers, composers, special effects guys, basically anybody who works behind the scenes in film and television, and get their insights into the process of creating films and TV shows. Also at our Tee Public page, you'll find cool merch that you can get or even give to others as gifts. You can find those links at our website, or you can go directly to tpublic.com slash stores slash Haven Podcasts and patreon.com slash then is now podcast. Enjoy. What kind of a sick school is this? Things are afoot at the Circle K. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You got spunk. I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Oh, righty then. How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Say hello to my little friend. I love the smell of in the morning. What are you people? On dope? Stop whining. I got a crap on deck that can choke a donkey. Hey! Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A dynamite! Show me the money! Don't! Up your nose when you have a hole. A what? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Here's looking at you, kid. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. Go to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Hear that, Elizabeth? I'm coming to join you, honey. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. We're on a mission from God. Hello and welcome to yet another fabulous episode of Then Is Now Podcast. I'm your host, Rigor, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Esper. How's things, Chris? 
Uh, things are good. I've mostly been busy working, but, um, you know, can't complain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did you get a lot of snow last weekend? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my driveway was pretty much, like, flooded with, like, two feet of snow. No matter what I did to shovel, I would have to, you know, go back out, shovel some more. But, again, no matter what I did, driveway was filling up, and there was nothing I could have done about it. So, yeah, I was pretty much stuck in two feet of snow for, like, a day. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was pretty bad up here too in Maine. Um, I'm not way far up in Maine though, so it was it wasn't as bad as it could have been. But the worst part is, it rained a few days afterwards, like the last yeah. couple of days, and then um, our driveway is like a huge sheet of ice. Um, yeah, because it's a dirt driveway, so when the <clears throat> when the landlord plows it, um, it's it doesn't go all the way to the ground. So sure. I went to walk out yesterday. My wife went off to work with um, with our grandson. And I was just going for a walk, and I, I stepped onto the driveway, and I stopped, but I was sliding to the left. <laughs> oh, oh, my. And it's a slope, so what I ended up doing was I basically slid all the way over to the snowbank in, in the grass, and then walked through the snow to get to those, you know, to get out to the street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was pretty much the same situation here, too. Uh, my landlords came, and they, uh, they plowed it, but plowed the driveway. But then the following weekend is when we got, you know, like uh, the rain and ice storm, so that my driveway was full of ice. It was like an it was like an ice rink, and yeah. uh, I, and like I already slipped and fell twice, so that was fun. But oh jeez, <laughs> I'm like all I'm doing is just go. All I'm doing is just take out the trash. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I mean, it was so bad, you know, uh, Patsy the Angry Nerd and I were supposed to record with a special guest, um, the 20th episode of The East Meets the West. And that was last Sunday, but we had to postpone it because Pat, Pat's Wi-Fi typically goes out whenever we get snow. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> um, so I do want to apologize to the audience for um, a lot of these episodes have been delayed. It's just there's just a lot going on between, you know, you and I, Chris, with our schedules. And then um, we've had a lot of COVID things going on around here and uh, work and all that stuff. So. Uh, we'll try to get back on track and, and get into a regular groove again soon. Um, usually I try to release them by, have them edited by Thursday or Friday, but then sometimes, you know, just things happen. <laughs> but I did want to mention too, I want to bring up, if the folks at home that are listening, if you're enjoying our shows, uh, please go to wherever you, you listen to your apps, and especially iTunes, and give us a great review because that'll bump us up on the list where they'll recommend us. Uh, the more good reviews we have, the more um, uh, visibility we will be to people who maybe don't listen or never heard of the show, and they can find us a lot better. So we'd love for you to do that. And um, as I mentioned, our sister show is The East Meets the West, where we, uh, we take a fun dive into the, the kung fu films of the Chinese company production company, The Shaw Brothers, as well as westerns that were produced in Italy, known as Spaghetti Westerns. And each episode, we do one of each of those films, and we discuss and sometimes compare and contrast. Um, and both the Shaw films and Spaghetti Westerns were produced mainly from the 60s to the 80s. So we have a blast over there. Chris, you got to come on sometime. I'd love to hear your opinion on these movies. I'd like to check them out, because I can't say I've seen very many of, uh, of those movies. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking maybe for, uh, for the 25th, we're going to have a couple of special films on that one. So um, nice. I'll let you know. That'll be cool. Um, and then real quick, just wanted to dive into a little pop culture here. As we mentioned before, there's a lot of cool comic book movies and TV shows coming out this year. Uh, I've been catching up on Peacemaker, although my wife doesn't like that show, so I have to, 
wait till she's not home. Um, but I did rediscover a show. It's on Prime, and I'd forgotten about this, and I loved it. It's um, you ever hear of a show called MXC Most Extreme Elimination Challenge? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on it's on Prime, and it is the funniest friggin' thing ever. It is so funny. Oh really? It's basically it's this Japanese show called Takeshi's Castle, and it's like if you've ever seen, especially you know folks at home, if you've ever seen the show Wipeout that John Cena hosted. Um, oh, yeah. it's it, Wipeout is basically a version of this show. Only, you know, in Japan, the rules of, of safety are far less. These people look like they're really getting hurt on some of these things <laughs> they got to jump through or jump over. Oh, man. It's, and and the, the, these two guys, Kenny Blankenship and Vic. Kenny Blankenship and Vic. I forget what the other guy's name is. Uh, I should know it. Um, oh, Vic Romano. They... Do the voiceover. So there's two guys that host it, but they dub their own voices for the two hosts. And they do it like a play-by-play. So it's like you're watching a sports show, but they're making all kinds of things up. Like, oh, he did the double turtle somersault. That's crazy. You know? (laughs) 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 Oh, he's fallen into the scary uncle position. Oh, no. (laughs) 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 And there's so many innuendos in everything that they say. It's hilarious. That's awesome. So I recommend, folks, if you have Amazon Prime, check it out. It's called MXC, which stands for Most Most Extreme Elimination Challenge. Um, and also, I wanted to give out a plug to my friend Bill, who, um, Chris, I don't think you've been on the show with him, Bill Van Ryn. He, nah. he publishes a, a book called, or a magazine called Drive in Asylum. And it's basically, he's got interviews and articles, and it's um, also uh, primarily centered around the old movie ad. Uh, movie ads from the newspapers yeah and i wrote an article for the most recent one um which i did a um, retrospect on 50 years of dr fibes so uh people should check that out he's on etsy just look up groovy doom and he does a show um every saturday night um where basically there's there's three segments um he'll have a guest or two on the show i was on it once i accidentally fell asleep (laughs) i missed the, (laughs) the last segment but um so they'll, he'll, they'll get on the first segment, talk about a movie they're about to watch, and then we'll all go away. He'll shut off the feed. And usually he tries to make it so that everyone can find the film. So it'll be like on YouTube or Tubi or something. And yeah. then come back, talk about the first film, then start to talk about the second film, go back and watch the second film. And at this point, it's like, you know, one in the morning or whatever. Um, yeah. And then watch, you know, and then talk about the second film. So um, just look up Groovy Doom on... Uh, on Facebook or YouTube and you'll find it there and then you can find out, you know, on YouTube you can watch past episodes. Um, you probably watch the one where I passed out and nice. <laughs> I'm sure you cut to my camera and it was just the microphone and the computer and nobody. <laughs> yeah. Just nobody there. <laughs> That's funny. I love those old movie ads though. Those things are really cool. Oh yeah. That's, that's so amazing. Yeah. I also have a, um, a fascination with the, uh, with the old TV spots that you would see on television, like promote, like those like 15 to 30 second spots where they would like promote the movie. Uh, just like the way that they were always cut and like the narrator's voice. The, the, those things were just fun. They're like they, they don't do it like that anymore. No, they don't. They don't. And yeah. Even like some of those radio ads too for horror movies. Yeah. They make them sound way scarier than they are. <laughs> oh sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, totally. That's awesome. So what uh, what have you been checking out lately? If you've had time. 
Uh, very little because of uh, <laughs> a limited amount of time. But uh, usually what I find myself doing uh, during work hours, like if there's like, if there's just like a lull and there's just nothing going on, I find myself going back to things that are like comfort food to me, you know, like, like movies or shows that like, I need to just like, just like unwind or just like, you know, turn off my brain and like, it's not something new. It's just something that like I'm used to. Like I'll go back and I'll watch like episodes of Seifeld or I'll watch like Three's Company, let's say, you know, just like something that uh, I've always enjoyed. Uh, so that's kind of what I've been watching lately is like watching reruns of old sitcoms or like watching a movie that I like. So yeah, it's sort of where I've been at at, the, at this point in time. That's awesome. That's awesome. My, yeah. my head is always full of movie and TV quotes, and Three's Company is like a huge part of that. Yep. It's like, there's so many. Like, I don't know if you remember the one where Chrissy's jumping up and down and she's going, You could do it. You could do it. Yeah. You can. I do. You can. So, whenever someone's <laughs> trying to do something, I start doing that. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. But I have to say, though, as much as I did like Chrissy, I think Terry was always my favorite blonde of the yes. three. Yep. Yep. Yeah, there's a chance we should we we should reach out to her and try and get her on the show. Yeah, totally. Um, briefly, I did want to mention that we're um, we're also going to sort of retool our Patreon page and uh, make it maybe probably a little bit more affordable for folks at home because we really would love your support and we got some awesome merchandise to get for you. So um, we'll let you know about that. And uh, that's about it. So up next, we've got a guy who directed a documentary about mom and pop video stores from the 80s and 90s. So sit back and get ready for a fun interview. And if the young people in your life don't know what a video store is, this show will help you educate them. Class is in session. I have a bad feeling about this. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Food fight! Hey, you in my class? I am today. I think you should consider transferring to shock class. Woo -woo! Now, now, very few students are severely injured in shock class. Bueller. When you were in school. Bueller. Did you ever cut class? Bueller. Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut classes. Good, sign this. Um, he's sick. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell oh. ring and all my kids are not here. Seven years of college down the drain. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, so. You lack discipline. As long as I'm here, there will be no grades or gold stars or demerits. We're gonna have recess all the time. Woo! Go, play and have fun now. Okay, folks, we've got a great guest on the show today. He's an actor, writer, producer, and director. He's also the owner of Universe Retro, an online shop that specializes in 80s, 90s, and now items, especially band t-shirts. He's the founder of Tiny Terror Con, Hickory, North Carolina's first and finest horror convention. And he's also the co-host at Eye for Eye Productions Video Podcast. His latest project, a documentary called Mom and Pop, the indie video store boom of the 80s and 90s, is soon to to be released and looks to be totally amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming to the show Bobby Knipe Jr. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Awesome. We're so glad you could be here. So excited to talk about this. Um, so first of all, tell us how you got onto the path of being a filmmaker. Uh, yeah, I grew up. Um, I always like, had an affinity for movies. I, I just loved them. Uh, my mom had me when she was really young. She was only 17. So she kind of grew up with me. Um, and she liked horror movies, so we would go to the video store, you know, every weekend and rent whatever. She let me watch anything. Um, so by the time I was probably six or seven, I had watched all the mainstream horror stuff like the Freddies, the Jasons, stuff like that. And I started 
kind of delving into the low budget shot on video stuff, literally at eight, nine, 10 years old. Um, mom would let me watch whatever I wanted. So I'd go in, I'd get cannibal camp out or five, five, five or lunch meat, you know, the real crazy low budget stuff. Um, yeah. So I, I watched it all. Um, and then about 10 years ago, uh, me and a buddy decided, Hey, let's make a movie, you know? So we just kind of made a movie locally, uh, ended up winning best regional feature at South Carolina monster con. And we were nice. like, hmm, that's pretty cool. So then, uh, I started having my kids and everything. So I kind of put it on the back burner and, uh, recently, um, when I got about a year ago, um, I kind of jumped back into it, uh, because of this interest I had in the making this mom and pop documentary. And, um, you know, since then it's led to a lot of opportunities that I got booked for this year. So, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess the answer to your question would be, I've always been into movies and the next logical step for me was make the movies that I can't find to watch on my own. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. Can you tell us about some of the projects that you started on before that you worked on before? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I ever did at all, um, on a set was there was a web series that came out in, it was about 2011, 2012, somewhere right around there. It was called the dark and it was just a local, uh, kind of thing. It was kind of like, um, the way the director called it, it was like a darker Harry Potter, I guess you could say. Um, so I went on the set just as a PA, uh, cause I thought, Hey, I love movies. This guy's offering to let me come work on one. So, I went, I just loved seeing how everybody was running their cameras and their lights. And uh, I liked watching how the director kind of had a vision in his head and he made it a reality. So uh, that was my initial foray into actually being on a set. And it was really cool. And then literally as soon as that production was over, it was only a few days. I, I literally was told my buddies, let's make a movie. Um, and it ended up being what they call, it was going to be a full length feature called Bloody Bones. Uh, but it ended up being worked into a anthology film we created called Night Whispers. And uh, that was the one that won uh, Best Regional Feature that I was talking about earlier. That's awesome. That's awesome. Would you say that video stores had a lifespan of roughly 30 years? That's my recollection. Yeah, I, w I would say so. Um, so the first video store started about 1977. Um, and kind of what I've tracked down is it started in Germany um, as a guy that was like, okay, I can buy these tapes. At the time, there wasn't many tapes. There was maybe 50 to 100 total. Um, so he thought I can just buy them all. So he bought one copy of all and he just started renting them himself. Um, then as VCRs kind of grew more, um, by about 1980, 1981, it started to just become routine. People could, you know, start watching it themselves. So they figured out a way to, we can just rent these movies. People don't have to pay hundred, $150 for a tape. Uh, so people would buy them, rent them out, stuff like that. Um, and then when that kicked off and people just loved it. Uh, it just kept growing. So through the 80s and 90s, especially, was their their heyday. Um, and then from 2000 to 2010 was about kind of like the era of Hollywood videos, blockbusters, stuff like that. Um, so I'd say 80s, 90s, and the early 2000, 2010 is really when it was, you know, booming. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my kids were born in the early 2000s, and they have vague recollections of going to the video store where we, you know, rent either a movie or like a PS2 game or something. Um, and it's just those those days are were so much fun. Um, even like back in the day um, when my father bought a VCR, I think it, like around 1980 or something, it was a top loading one. Oh, yeah. um, but he was afraid to actually join a video store to rent movies. I think he would, thought it was going to be too expensive or something. And then I finally talked him into it. So uh, that was really interesting. But I also used to work at a blockbuster video in the early 90s when I was like 19 or 20. Yeah, I worked at a Hollywood video. It was my uh, my 
so my first job I ever had was when I was about 14 and I worked at a little grocery store, but I only worked there for two years because uh, I was waiting until I turned 16 because I wanted to work at a video store so bad. So uh, when I turned 16, I started working for the Hollywood video uh, that lived nearby. And I actually worked for Hollywood video all the way until it went out of business. So uh, oh, wow. it was, it was a good job. It was one of the bigger retailers, you know, yeah. um, of videos, but, mm. uh, but I, I still tell everybody it was, it was one of the best jobs I ever had. That's awesome. And where where did you did you say where you grew up or where what area did you grow up in? Um, I grew up in North Carolina. I'm still there now. Um, a, a town called Hickory, North Carolina. I grew up in a small town called Cat Square, North Carolina. Um, and it's so small that um, you know, like the local big chains like Hollywood Video and Blockbuster. Blockbuster was like an hour away. Hollywood Video was probably 35 minutes away. So all we had within a 10 15 minute radius was the little mom and pop video store. So that's kind of what. We always rented from. Oh, okay, yeah. The reason I asked mm. was because we had we also had a Hollywood videos around here. I'm, I was up in the um, Boston area. Okay, yeah, yeah. They had a they had a lot. They were the second largest uh, video store, corporate video store, um, right under Blockbuster. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I grew up I grew up in Jersey, and uh, uh, yeah, there was Hollywood Video, Blockbuster, but then there were these like little mom and pop shops all over the place, mm-hmm. and. That was the one I remember going to the most. I lived right across the street from one, oddly enough, so I would always go there and uh, always, usually, always rent the same thing because <laughs> you know that's <laughs> yeah. that's that's what we would do. Yeah, <laughs> Invisible Mom. Yeah, there was. Um, yep, Invisible yeah, so, Mom. So or, blockbusters. Yeah. yeah, blockbusters were like so. At the high point of blockbusters, there was about thirty thousand locations of blockbusters, which is a lot. But when you compare that to mom and pops, there was anywhere from eighty thousand to one hundred twenty thousand mom and pop video stores in the United States because and those numbers are kind of skewed. They don't know for sure because there was a lot of gas stations that rented videos um, and didn't really market themselves as a video store. Uh, but they they estimate between eighty and one hundred twenty thousand uh, independent or mom and pop style video stores at one point. Oh my wow. god, that's awesome! Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, there were tons, tons around where we lived. You know, we'd even go to other towns just if the, the selection we'd already seen most everything at one store. We'd go to the next town over and check out their video store. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I have a funny story too, actually. Uh, and I took Chris. You've probably heard this. I've told this before in the show. Um, when I worked at Blockbuster, there was one time where I, I took the videotapes for The Wizard of Oz and The Wizard of Gore, and I swapped them in the cases. <laughs> And so this this guy comes in and he's got it in his hand and he's like, "Uh, yeah, I rented this for my kids, but thankfully I didn't put it on. I caught it in time. (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) We had a, when I worked at Hollywood Video, we had a similar story. Um, I didn't do it, but I know some other people that did. There was a live action Pinocchio movie that came out at one point. And then there was a horror movie called Pinocchio's Revenge that came out in the 90s. And they would switch those a lot. That's awesome. (laughs) And the Jack Frost, of course. Right, of course. Of course. Yeah, the blockbuster. I remember the horror section was always downstairs. Like, if you you Mm. wanted to go see the horror movies, you had to go downstairs. It was like... It was like this, like hidden secret from all the upstairs uh, children's movies. <laughs> That's funny. That's yeah. funny. You know, um, one thing too about going to the video store that I used to love. It's kind of a lost art now. Is the the cover art? No mm-hmm. pun intended. Oh yeah. You know, to that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's actually a big topic in the documentary that we've been talking to people about because that is a big part. Uh, a lot of times they would movie companies would spend more on the cover art. Than the actual movie cost uh, because you know going through the video stores that's the first thing you see that would draw your attention 
Um, but you know that that worked in its favor, and then sometimes not because a lot of times the cover art would depict something that's not in the movie at all. Right. Uh, you know. But um, but there was a time during the late '80s, early '90s where having real salacious covers was kind of like the hit. You'd have like the movie Cannibal Campout, where it shows like a very gory cover, or you'd have the Wizard Big Box of the movie Zombie that has just a a rotting zombie on the front, real big with maggots and all this stuff. And it was, you know, let's make the most gory, eye-catching cover to kind of draw in. Um, but yeah, that's definitely something we talked about in the documentary. Is you know people talking about what cover arts was impactful for them at the time. Yeah. Well, I could, I have a funny story about that too. I can remember, uh, walking through blockbuster and seeing the cover for dead alive and being like, Oh, oh. yeah. I'd be like, Oh my God, that looks so cr-. Like it actually scared me to look at it, but it was intriguing <laughs> where I was like, I gotta, I gotta see this movie. When I finally did years later, I'm like, that's nowhere in the movie <laughs> at all. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that was very typical. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but you know, I gotta say though, the, some of those painted cover arts are like some of the most brilliant pieces of art I've ever seen. I mean, they're just always, oh, yeah. they're like, they're, they're masterpieces, you know, and sometimes they're, like you said, they're better than the movie itself a lot of the time. A lot of times, if it was a good cover, that means the movie wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I've rented many movies where it looked awesome from the cover and then, yeah, it was a piece of crap. Yeah. But, yeah, um, me too. Oh, my God. So much. So Dra- many- Dracula, ver- Dracula versus Frankenstein. <laughs> oh, God. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome cover, yeah. terrible movie. <laughs> I actually saw that on TV as a kid. I was at my father's work and he had this little black and white TV in like the mid seventies uh, on his desk, and I, I I don't know where he got it from, but um, so I I remember watching that there on like Creature Double Feature or something. Yeah. <laughs> um. So what 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 got you into, or, or where did you come up with the idea of creating this documentary? Yeah, so the the biggest thing, um, I've always loved mom and pop video stores. Growing up, I I collected VHS my whole life. So I'd go into them a lot of times, especially in the 2000s when they were shut down. I'd go in, you know, and buy out their tapes or whatever they were selling and uh, talk to the people that owned it. They'd always tell like really interesting stories, you know, about how they got started or or stuff like that. So I've always kind of dug that. But really, the the real big point that got me started was. uh, I was watching Netflix one night, and uh, this was when the last Blockbuster documentary came out on Netflix. So I started watching it, um, and like I said, I didn't really go to Blockbuster. So these memories that people were talking about, while they were interesting, they didn't really strike a chord with me. So as soon as I got off, I got done watching that, I think I made a post on Facebook saying something like, you know, the last Blockbuster was a really good documentary, but it never really hit me. I used to go to mom and pop stores, and then I had a whole bunch of my friends commenting about yeah, I went to this place called Joe's Video or Community Video, and we saw this and we saw this. And I thought to myself, I was like, there's a big story to tell here. That's, I, I, you know, I'm not going to call it the anti-Blockbuster because it's not. I don't not Blockbuster at all. You know, people have memories there, and that's good. But, like, it's there's another sto- story to tell, you know, that's not being told. Um, the little places, like, I rented from Cat Square Super a little gas station cut meat in the back that had a, a lot of things. If I don't talk about that, it'll never be talked about. Nobody will ever know it existed. Um, mm-hmm. And that's like most of the mom and pop video stores, you know, th- this was their livelihood. This was, they loved it. It was their small business that they ran for 30 years or, or whatever. And uh, I wanted to capture that story and capture the memories and, you know, show that there are people out there that appreciated it, you know? And uh, so, you know, I, I got that idea and I thought I want to make this movie, but I don't know if there's enough interest in it. So I decided to do an Indiegogo at the time, I decided the budget would be 5000 I was like, I can do it for $5,000, you know, 
in hindsight, that was very low, and I should have come up with a higher number. But you know, <laughs> I did. You know, that went pretty quick when you're traveling, you know. But um, anyway, I made the the Indiegogo, and you can do two different options with the Indiegogo. You can do basically all or nothing. If you hit the goal, you get it. If you don't hit the goal, you get nothing. Or a flexible, which means you get whatever you raise. I decided all or nothing. Leave it up to fate. If it hits, I make it. If it don't, I don't. And then within 12 days, we exceeded our goal on a 30-day campaign. So Nice. Um, yeah, it was great. So I said, okay, I'm making this movie. And then we just jumped right into production. That's awesome, dude. That's, That's awesome. amazing. Um, I, I have tons of VHS tapes as well. And I even have mm. um, tons of ones that I recorded. I, I'm literally not kidding you. I have probably over 1,000 that... Um, <laughs> Uh, and half of them I marked, and then the other half I guess I got lazy over the years, and so I have no idea what's on them. So someday I'm going to go back through them and and try and label them all. And if it's anything worth keeping, you know, throw it on on a digital file. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. In terms of like, whenever I go to like a uh, um, like a Goodwill store or a Salvation Army or any secondhand shop that has VHS tapes, I'm always on the lookout for a movie called The Soldier from 1982 that starred Ken Wall who was on that TV show Wise Guy. Do you know anything uh-huh. about this movie? Because my understanding is that if you can find it, it's very rare and very valuable on VHS. To be honest, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't recognize the title right offhand, but uh, there are a lot of tapes that are very valuable because people are buying a lot of these. Um, mm. And I don't know about this movie in particular, but there's a lot of movies that were put out and never released on DVD or released in small quantities. Um, or there was movies that, especially during the 80s, where distributors self-distributed by the director themselves they would put a bunch mm-hmm. of their tapes in the trunk of their car and drive up and down the east or west coast go to every video store they seen and be like would you like to buy a copy of this and a lot of times the video store would say i can buy this tape for 20 dollars from this guy throw it on the shelf and rent it compared to these studio movies they're going to cost me 100 to 150 dollars a piece um so that's why you've seen a lot of those weird low budget horror movies on the shelves in the 80s because they were cheaper and easier to acquire um which in turn made it, uh, you know, more valuable today. Uh, but yeah, lots of tapes. Um, I'm sure that one that you were talking about, Soldier, what is too. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of there's a big market for collecting VHS tapes right now. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's amazing. I'm seeing more and more out there in these shops. Um, and it's funny too. It's sort of an ancillary thing, I guess. Between VHS and DVD, there were laser discs, and I have I had a couple of laser disc players over the years, and I still do. I I don't know where they are right now, but um, I remember, I think it was in 89, when Ghostbusters 2 came out on VHS, and I wanted to buy it, and I worked at the Blockbuster so I could go through the catalog and you know order it, but it was like 100 bucks or 90 bucks. But on LaserDisc, there was a store um, probably about 40 minutes from me that you could they would rent out LaserDiscs, same way you would you know VHS tapes. And I was able to purchase Ghostbusters 2 on LaserDisc for 25 bucks. And it was widescreen. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. Wow. So um, oh, what about, I did, real quick, I, I had another question, but I want to backtrack a second here. So I have a handful of beta tapes. Um, uh-huh. is, are those any worth anything, do you think? or Depending on the title. So typically beta tapes are worth less than the VHS tape, um, mainly because less people have a beta player to, to play it. Um, but now if you have certain titles that are popular on VHS or rare on VHS, there are beta collectors out there that do like them. So I'd say basically based on the title, um, you know, if you have a real popular horror movie or uh, horror movies, I've noticed across all mediums. So the ones that kind of 
are worth the most. Um, so yeah, betas, betas are, there are a smaller, you know, market for it, but they are. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I'll have to check into that. So, um, what sort of research went into the documentary? Yeah. So, um, what I did was as soon as we hit the goal, actually right before the goal ended, because I I could kind of see it on the trajectory of making it. Um, I started small first. I, I thought locally, I know of these four or five video stores that I went to. So let me go there and see what they're doing now. Um, obviously they were all closed. So I kind of just made a note, like what did this one turn into? What did this one turn into? Um, and then with the advent of social media, it's easy to reach a large audience at one time uh, with a post. So I just started making posts in these communities saying, did you ever own a video store? Or does anybody remember this video store? Um, and it kind of linked me up with people that would know somebody and, you know, I could do that. Um, so when I realized that a lot of people from outside of North Carolina also had this, I thought we need to plan a road trip um, and hit some of these big ones. So um, that's all we did was we, you know, I had buddies in, uh, especially like the VHS collecting groups that would, uh, that lived in like PA or they lived in Chicago or something. And they would be like, I've got these three video stores and I know the owner of this one. So we kind of just scheduled all that. Uh, we went on the road for almost two weeks and we drove everywhere. We drove just over 3000 miles um, and we would, spend a whole day filming in one city and then we'd drive and get into the hotel at one o'clock in the morning and then we'd sleep till six o'clock in the morning and then we'd get up and do it again. We did that for almost two weeks. But uh but yeah, really Facebook has helped out a ton because like mm. I said, you can reach a large audience uh that is into these specific things and uh get information from them. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So you interviewed what former owners of video stores? Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to tell the whole story by everybody involved. So we were able to find previous owners. We were able to find current owners of people that are literally running video stores now. Um, we talked to filmmakers that had their films self-distributed. So uh, we talked to like Tim Ritter, who did the movie Truth or Dare and Killing Spree, which were real big in the 80s. I mean, he's self-distributed. He was one of those guys that went to the video stores with them in his trunk. Um, so he told me stories about that. Uh, we talked to other directors of the same thing, like Donald Farmer. Um, and then we we are actually interviewing Lloyd Kaufman from Trauma at the end nice. of this month. Because, you know, you guys, I'm sure, remember Trauma was huge in the mom and pop stores, like Toxic sure. Adventure, oh, yeah. Yeah. stuff like that. So, um, you know, a part of the, a big part of Trauma's success is because of mom and pop video stores renting their movies. So we're going to talk oh. with him. Um, and then we're talking about the people that went there and, you know, did this. And then we even talked to some of the actual people that worked for the distribution companies. And uh, they used to cold call video stores and be like, here's what we've got. What do you want to buy? You know, and uh, so basically every aspect of the video store from the people that went in the video store to the people that ran it, the people that worked there and the people that sold the movies to them. Huh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now, uh, in terms of making this film, I mean, you sort of already answered this, but uh, did you have a full crew or were you solo when making this project? Uh, what was the uh, uh, that aspect like uh, with your crew? Yeah, so when I first planned it, I, I was going to plan to do everything myself because I, I've yeah. been doing like little YouTube videos and stuff like that. I thought, well, it'd be just like that. But then when I started looking at it as a larger scope, I was like, there's no way I can do this to the level I want to do it by myself. So uh, I yeah. still wanted to keep it small because I needed to for the budget. Uh, but I had a friend of mine that was you know, pretty good, had all the camera equipment and stuff. So I asked him to be the camera guy, and I got one of my buddies uh, just to kind of come help us set up lights or, or whatever. And it's just been uh, – it's just been us three the whole time. Nice. Well, I also asked because I'm also making a documentary about video stores, oddly enough. I mean, uh, and oh, yeah. 
so far I've been sort of focusing on like the communal aspect of it because I feel like that's like that's part of the that's probably my favorite memory of going to a video store is uh, you know the that communal aspect and talking to people uh-huh. versus versus say streaming. So can you speak to that real quick? That the the, uh, the communal experience. Yeah, and that's another thing that's been brought up a million times. You got people to remember um, everything from when you would go in there, they would remember you. They know what kind of movies you like and suggest other things. You could call ahead and be like, hey, do you guys have this movie? If it was in, they would hold it for you behind the counter. Um, so it went from that. You might even go to school with yeah. the people that work there, you know, uh, or your parents might go to church with the people that own it. You know, they were part of the community that way. And then another way, like uh, one of the guys that was in the interview, uh, Joe from Joe's video, he was in the trailer. Uh, he even brought up the fact that, I mean, their store used to, support and uh, donate to the local baseball team and have their video you know name on the back of the the baseball shirts and stuff so it was a big part of the community because everybody knew everybody you know it was it was like small business owners you know so right uh, yeah they were a big part of the community oh yeah without a doubt without a doubt i mean i can remember this one uh situation where i went to the video store i wanted to see edward scissorhands uh i hadn't Mm -hmm. seen it at that point i was like maybe i don't know uh, 10, 11 years old or whatever. So I say, hey, do you have Edward Scissorhands? The clerk looks at me and he goes, oh, a fine movie, a very fine movie. And you would not, you wouldn't get that kind of reaction. Like, right. you, you know, like streaming or doing, like, it's just like, no, like having someone recommend something, I that's that's huge, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and the video store that I used to go to a lot that I mentioned earlier, Cat's Crazy Brett, you know, when I was younger, I would rent video games from there. And uh, yeah. the lady that ran it, if I got a video game and I got home, like the video, that's first off, that store was only maybe a quarter of a mile from my house. So I could ride my bike there. So I'd ride my bike down there. I'd rent a video game. I'd come back. And if the game was like too hard for me at the time while I was young, I could ride my bike back there and be like, this game's too hard for me. And she just let me switch it out for a game until I was happy, you know? And a yeah. lot of times, <laughs> I mean, you can't do that, you know, but she would just let me switch them out with no cause until I was happy. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what are some of your uh, favorite personal memories of going to the video store? Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I was growing up, and I'm sure with you guys too, um, you know, if you got out of school on Friday and your parents were saying, we're going to go get pizza and go to the video store, that was like the best thing in the world to be growing up. Like that was the best Friday night. Uh, but let's see, some memories. Um, I have a pretty good memory of one, and it kind of correlates back to the cover art you were talking about. When I was about 12 or 13, uh, my friend Rhett decided to come over and spend the night. And mom and dad was taking us to get some pizza and took us to this video store called Mega Video. Um, we would always go in and we'd rent a video game and we'd rent like a scary movie. Uh, we'd play the video game most of the night and then watch the scary movie, you know, at the latest part of the night. Yeah. So we're looking down the aisles and um, we see this movie called Elves and it has Dan Haggerty <laughs> in it. And the, <laughs> yeah. It looks so scary on the cover. Like, it yeah. looks terrifying. We look on the back and it shows these two elves and they just, they're practical effects suit looking monster elves. And it just looks so scary. So we're like, this is the one. So we got home and I remember we rented Mortal Kombat. We're playing Mortal Kombat all night. It gets to be about midnight. Everybody's asleep in the house with me and him. And uh, I know it's about that time to to watch a scary movie. And I was like, you don't play it? He's like, no, no, let's play some more. And I was like, okay. And then I start realizing, like, I think he might be too scared to watch this movie. So, and I am too at this point. I ain't even going to lie. I was too scared. So I stopped and I looked at him. I said, do you want to watch the movie? And I was just testing the waters. And he's like, do you want to watch the movie? And we just look at each other. And uh, I said, are you scared? 
And he's like, yeah, are you scared? And I said, yeah. So do you want to wait till in the morning when the sun comes up? He's like, yeah, let's do that. So we played Mortal Kombat. The next day we watched the movie and it wasn't even scary. But, you know, we had it was all because of that cover art. We were too scared to watch of it. Course, you know? Of course, of <laughs> course. That's hilarious. Oh, my God. I remember, um, well, like I told you, my father got us a, um, a top-loading VCR, which, by the way, I have a couple of tapes that I recorded some TV shows on 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 that VCR to this day, they're the best quality ever. Like, because it was such an early <laughs> model of uh, VCR. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, but I remember, yeah, when we got our first actual video membership, we, um, uh, it was a place called movies on video, which was a couple towns over from where we were. And you, you, you got this like laminated card with your photo on it and that you were a member and stuff. And I actually still have mine somewhere. And it's just so awesome. funny, you know, how they would go through they would go through these elaborate things to get you a membership, you know. Oh yeah, you had, uh, you know, some video stores you'd just get the card; it'd be a paper card. Some of them would have a real laminated card that was all nice looking. Uh, yep. Even some of the ones that that I talked to, um, they would give a card and get a T-shirt showing that you're a member of that video club or whatever. Um, and then you'd have the ones that were free to join. Then you'd have the ones that were twenty dollars to join. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they, I mean, they were totally different depending on where you went. Right, right. Right, right. I, I mean, I remember I stayed over a friend's house one night, and his sister took us to the video store. And because she was over 18, she rented us, like, um, a stack of R-rated horror movies. <laughs> we watched them, like, <laughs> all night long. I think um, uh, Cannibal Ferox was one of them. And oh, yeah. Just some, some nasty ones. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that That's was also awesome. so great. I think everybody that was going to the video store around that time were renting movies we probably shouldn't be watching at the time. Uh, but that was part of the joy of it, you know, part of the fun. It was kind of, as a kid, it seemed almost risque, you know, yeah. to, to yeah. go in these video stores and be looking at. I'd go look at the horror movies, and then, you know, some of them I'd look around, I'd be like, I probably shouldn't even be looking at these boxes. This, I didn't even go in the beaded curtain room, but, like, just the horror section <laughs> made me think, like, <laughs> I need to watch over my back, make sure my mom don't see me looking at these tapes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's funny. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. 
So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast, it's the greatest show in history. From the Dorkening Network, hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Are you a lifelong fan of General Hospital? Are you a new fan who wants to know more about the history of the show? Do you enjoy talking about the show with others? Do you find yourself yelling at the TV? Is your self-care an hour a day in Port Charles? If so, we invite you to join hosts Amanda Kimmel and Shannon Coach at the place where all the hidden conversations take place and secrets are revealed. Meet us at Pier 54, a General Hospital fan podcast. Well, no, and I can remember going, um, going to the video store. Again, I was probably twelve, and I would rent. Like I remember one of the first things I rented. Like that was like, all right, yeah, I'm gonna finally rent something that's R-rated on my own. And I rented the fly. (laughs) I rented the fly and the fly two, and and didn't. And like I bring it up to the counter, and this girl is there, the clerk behind the counter. And uh, I was 12. She may have been 18, but she was like my first crush. <laughs> and I'm like talking, I'm talking, I'm talking with her about movies. Like I'm all cool and shit. And I'm just like, and it was like, it, it wasn't working. But anyway, it, uh, <laughs> but I remember her looking at me like, are you a little bit too young to be renting this? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, whatever. But, uh, and then she, she let me, she let me take both movies home. And now to this day, those movies are among my favorites, particularly, you know, the first movie being a masterpiece. So yeah, I mean that's one of my great memories of uh, going to the video store. It's like that. Oh yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Oh, I mean it it shapes you, especially as a uh, as a movie fan. You know, um, because you'll remember renting movies, and it was such a pivotal time in your life that even if it wasn't a good movie per se, you have good memories attached to it, which in turn makes you like the movie more. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, much yeah. like you know, when we had only a handful of TV channels, that's where we got exposed to our movies to begin with. And then when you had the video store, you know, it opened it up for you. So now all of a sudden you have you know walls of of movies that you could choose from, and the kids just don't have that experience today. Mm-hmm. No, they don't. I mean, I tell my kids that you know, back video stores were so important because if you didn't catch it in the theater. It probably didn't show on TV on one of those channels, you know, like Mm -hmm. that was it. Like you never seen it again until you rented it, you know, Um, especially like one of the guys we interviewed remembered watching Star Wars. And he's like, for years, I never got to even see Star Wars again because I only seen it one time in theater, you know, until VHS um, and the video store and all that. So, yeah, if you didn't catch it, you know, maybe that one time it showed on TV or that one time it was in the theater, 
before video stores, you just didn't see it again. Right. Well, and that's also that also is um, a testament to like say the was the, going back to Wizard of Oz. Whenever that movie came on television once a year before video stores, it was like a big event because there was no other mm-hmm. way to see it. It's like if you missed it, you missed it. You had to wait for the following year to see it again on television. And then yep. uh, you know, I'm sure when video stores came out, everybody was renting it. So, yeah, I mean, it's it, uh, it's amazing how far we progressed. But at the same time, there, there's now we're now in a situation where there's like there's too much available in a weird way. Uh-huh. There is. It's yeah. funny that you said that too about Wizard of Oz because you reminded me of that. I remember being in a store and I don't remember what store it was, but it was right at the dawn of of videotapes in in my area, and there was a machine like a vending machine that you could rent tapes from, and yeah. Wi- Wizard of Oz was the one that they were promoting. It was like. It was a big sure. poster for it and, and everything. And I remember trying to get my father to rent it. And he's like, no, no, it's too expensive. I don't know. I don't want to put my credit card in there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, how much was it to rent the tape from the, from the display? I don't Maybe recall. From the... it was, this was ah, okay. 30, 40 years ago. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> well, see, here's what was bad about ours. Um, on one hand, it was great that we had so many mom and pop stores. But like on the other side, my dad would take us to rent a video and he'd make a membership. And then he it we'd be late getting it back and we'd go back in the rent and it'd be such a high late fee. That'd be out. Let's find another mom and pop store. <laughs> so we ended up not being able to go back to half of the mom and pops because we had a late fee and dad didn't want to pay it, you know? So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that followed me to when I was, when I grew up and was an adult, because I don't know how they tracked that for so long, but 12 years later I go in and I'm a junior. My dad's a senior. So we have the same name and I'll say, I won't say junior. I'll just say Bobby Knipe, you know, and I'll give them my idea, and I'll look it up, and be like, oh, you made an account 12 years ago, and you owe $4.50. And I'm like, uh, let me just pay that four fifty. That's hilarious. Uh, did you have any movies that were, like, your go-to anytime you would go to the video store, like one that you would, like, either continuously rent or, like, one that you would rent over and over again? Yeah, um, I had a few, actually. So, like I told you earlier, my mom pretty much let me rent anything. There was only one movie for some reason she would never let me rent, and that was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which mm. really isn't even that bad. You right, know? right. But, uh, but my mom watched it when it came out first in the drive-in theater. You know, everybody was losing their minds over that movie when it came out. It was like the scariest thing they'd ever seen in their life. So she's seen it, and it scarred her. So she was like, you can rent anything in the whole store except for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So when I was about 9 or 10 years old, uh, I finally was like, Mom, I really want to see it. And she's like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah. So I watched it. And I loved it. It's my favorite movie yeah. in the whole world. But uh, I loved it, but it really wasn't that bad, you know. But uh, I guess it had been built up so much. It's like, this is going to be the scariest thing I've ever seen. But, uh, but anyway, I, I loved that movie. So I used to rent that a lot. Um, there was a show that used to come on TV that was called Monsters. And it was like oh, yeah. Tales from oh, yeah. the Crypt, Tales from the Dark Side. Yeah. So we didn't have cable when I was younger, so I couldn't watch that. But the video store had the episodes on tape. So I could get two episodes on each tape. So I used to rent those all the time. Um, so that Return of the Living Dead two I used to watch all the time. Um, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre one and two I loved. Uh, those were those were really kind of my go tos. Um, and then when it kind of got into the nineties and I was about probably eleven or twelve, thirteen, something like that. I, the nineties movies that were coming out straight to video like Doctor Giggles, yeah, oh yeah, um, and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah, I used to rent those all the time. So mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, I'd say probably the Monsters tapes of the episodes and Texas Chainsaw Massacre were the ones I rented the most. Nice. Wow. I remember um, when I worked at Blockbuster Video, I, I think I had seen it. I ordered to, to purchase uh, Faces of Death, 
And then uh-huh. I think I watched it like once, maybe twice after I bought it. And then after a while, a few years later, I just gave it away to somebody. I couldn't watch it anymore. It was too disturbing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I completely agree. Um, and I remember being, I guess I was probably nine years old. And I rode the bike down to the little gas station. They had Faces of Death. I had no idea what it was. But I saw the cover and it looked crazy, you know? Yeah. So I rented it at nine years old, come back, put it in my little 13-inch TV and VCR in my room started watching it and was like, what is this? And, you know, being a little kid, I was just like shocked, you know, but shouldn't have been rented that at all. But, you know, they didn't, they didn't do anything. But the I, I remember taking it back and was like, I need to get something different. So I'm looking through and I see the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I had no idea what it was, but it said <laughs> horror, you know? And on the back, it's like two, you know, a couple's car breaks down and they go into this dark castle. And I'm like, this is going to be great. And I remember getting home, watching it, and being like, what is this? You know, because I did not expect a musical. I thought it was going to be a real horror movie, you know. But, uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of crazy stories based on just covers, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I remember seeing newspaper ads for Rocky Horror Picture Show, and, I, and it would only play at midnight, and I always thought it was a really scary movie. Yep, I did too. I did too. <laughs> you know, it was before the advent of the Internet, so you had nothing to go off of. Right. You know, other than the right. box. You know, so... Yeah, that's interesting. Now, I remember when uh, DVDs kind of came in and eventually, and I'm pretty sure it was at my uh, the local Hollywood video um, where I was living at the time, uh, they kind of switched over slowly from VHS to DVDs. And then when I saw the advent of streaming, I was like, oh, this is not going to be good for the, for the video stores. Do, do you address that at all in your documentary? Yeah, we do. We do, absolutely. And I mean, it all boils down to when something becomes more convenient or cheaper to do. So VHS, you know, was out and it was booming. But then when DVDs came out, it was much easier to produce DVDs than it was, you know, a tape. And you could get better quality and special features at a fraction of the cost. So that kind of took over, um, you know, and then really did get rid of a tape. So the last produced VHS tape was in 2006. It was the movie History of Violence. And, uh, you know, after that, yeah. it was just, you know, nothing. And then when streaming came out, I mean, I even seen it working at Hollywood Video at the time. I said, this is cheap. You're going to pay $7, $8 a month. You have access to thousands of movies, and you don't even have to leave your house. Like, it is convenient, and it is good, you know. And, uh, you know, anytime something better comes along, everybody jumps on that, you know. You've, right. got those, you've got those people that still love the old stuff, and really it's more because of memories. I mean, more than yeah. anything, because it is more convenient to go straight. 100%. I get it. Um, that's why I don't think video stores will ever come. Like people always ask me, do you think it'll ever come back? Not to the capacity it wants, not even close. It's going to come back like record stores come back right now where people just like mm-hmm. physical mediums, um, and stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, we definitely address that because I mean, it, it's hard not to because, you know, it's more convenient and it, it did kill the video store. Oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think the younger folk are, are robbed of the experience that we had going to the video store. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the, it's talking they about are. cover art. And when you watch it on TV, like let's say, um, you know, you're on one of the streaming services, there's this tiny little picture and the, the cover art, uh, I should, it's not really a cover, but, you know, the artwork <laughs> for a particular movie is usually just faces now. There's no actual yes. art, no painting of something happening in the movie. Yeah. Well, like when you would go to the video store back in the day, it was an event. It was yeah. that weekend yeah. event. Yep. You would pile into the car, you would take the drive. You would walk around forever. You'd only pick a handful of movies, you know, two, three movies. And uh, you had a sense of ownership. 
you took the time, you drove, you picked them out, you come back, you you know, you build up anticipation for it. You spent your money for it. If they sucked, I mean, it ain't like you can just back out and pick a different title. Like that's all you had. Um, so you actually sat through the whole movie. Um, nowadays, where if you're streaming, if you're watching a movie, and you're like, I'm not really digging this. You can just back up and find another movie. You know, right. you didn't yeah. have that sense of ownership back then. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So now you mentioned earlier that there are stores still running today. Yeah, yeah, there is. So uh, here in North Carolina, and these guys and some other ones are featured in the documentary, we've got Orbit DVD in Asheville. Uh, they, they rented out of their back, and then they sold some. And then when COVID hit, they kind of went to all selling. Uh, but they keep that local video store vibe, you know. Uh, you can still get VHS there, DVD, stuff like that. So we went and talked to him, uh, Mark, that owns Orbit DVD. Uh, we went to Vizart Video in Charlotte, which is huge. And they actually are all rental. They rent VHS. They rent DVD, everything. Um, but kind of what they've been forced to do, there's people renting, but it's not to the level that would be able to keep them open. So they are considered a 501c charity now. Um, which helps them keep their doors open mm. uh, because I, I do think it's important. Like, you know, like you were saying, kids, I do, when you're talking to your kid and you're explaining these video stories, you can actually put them in the car and say, let's go to VizArt video and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. And you can actually rent a movie and show them the experience of renting a movie and stuff. Uh, so I do think it's important. We actually flew out to LA. There's a video store out there called video tech. Um, and it's amazing. They have so many tapes and DVDs and stuff. And, in the back behind the counter, it's like a library with the ladders that are way high in the sky, and you gotta like <laughs> slide them left and right. They gotta climb up a ladder to get tapes out. Like, it's just am- there's so many movies. That's amazing. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, I, I don't know if they're considered a charity. What they, what theirs is, I can't remember. But you know, you can go in there and rent. But uh, I mean, it, it's cool to have. It's just it will never come back to the capacity. Yeah, you know, right. It was. Well, my, my grandson is five, and my wife will take him to the library because it's literally like a couple blocks down the street from us, and th- they'll rent a, a DVD from from there. And I think it's great that she's given him that experience. You know. Yeah, and a lot of people do. Um, you know, I've, I I haven't been into a library in forever. I should, but I haven't. But uh, but yeah, a lot of people have told us they they rent stuff there. Um, they actually the library has an app now where you can put in your library card information and you can stream movies like a streaming service, which is really wild to me. Yeah. It's wild that you can, there's a streaming service for the library. uh, Yeah. It's crazy. And it's totally free, you know, just like a library card is, but, uh, but yeah, that is neat because I mean that in a way is keeping that, that rental store vibe alive. Sure. Yeah. Um, well it's, um, there's actually a store, uh, in Connecticut that, uh, one that I, uh, interviewed and uh, they also operate as a um, as a nonprofit. That's what keeps them open. Like they'll do like they'll do like these like film screenings and film festivals and events and they serve coffee and have food. I, I yep. mean, yeah. So it's making it more of like an experience. Uh, so I think that's really cool. That's what VizArt does. They uh, they added a screening room in the back. Yeah, uh, but yeah. And they'll do that. They'll do what they they'll do potlucks each month where they'll do a certain theme. So like ninja movies that you might not have seen, and they'll right. have a potluck, you know, with ninja movies and stuff. So they're very community oriented. That's yeah, awesome. That's that's awesome. So now in making the film, did you find that most of the people that you interviewed did prefer the in-store experience versus streaming, or vice versa? It, it's funny you ask that because I, I try to play devil's advocate. I try to look at it from both sides: the convenience of not having video stores and the memory of video stores. So I would always talk to people on their interviews. 
and they would be talking about, I hate Blockbuster, Blockbuster killed it, um, or they'd say streaming killed it, I wish video servers were still around, and then I'd ask them the question, I'm like, okay, seriously think about it for a second. If, you, if a video store opened up 15 minutes down the street, and you could get the same movie on streaming for free, would you take the time to go down there and support them every single week? And a lot of them would really think about it and go, you know what, I don't think I probably would. Well, I mean, and most people probably wouldn't. Um, you, it would be a novelty. You know, you would go every so often. Sure, um, but right. you, people wouldn't. If you've got streaming as an option, I mean, it's just more convenient. I mean, it might not be as fun, but, you know, there's not going to be enough people that would go to it. So sure. I think people, right. you know, really would stream more often, even if they were available. Huh. Yeah. Well, I still see people. Um, there's a CVS near nearby, and they have a red box outside. And I still see people going up yeah. to that all the time. I do too, and that is that surprises me. You yeah. know, honestly. Um, and I think I honestly think it all boils down to when Redbox. The Redbox usually has brand new movies that aren't on Netflix anymore. I, I'm assuming that's got to be the only way. Is they're mm-hmm. renting them that way instead of putting their credit card in and using like Amazon Prime to rent a brand new movie or something? Right. That's the only thing I can think of because it, it it's confusing to me. Like, why would they? You yeah, know, no. but that, that's the only thing I could think of because there's no there's no uh, compared to a video store. If you went and rented a DVD, you would have that experience of walking in, looking around, and stuff. Redbox, there's no experience. You're still mm. you're still swiping through and seeing those bad images of the movie you know just like you would be streaming so right. i don't know i don't understand yeah it. it's interesting too now that i think about it i remember when netflix obviously you guys remember too when netflix first started it was like mm-hmm. rent by mail and yes yep. I, I was on board yep. like 2007 i think is when i jumped to netflix um, and what i would do i guess i guess i'm outside the uh whatever the years where i can get in trouble for it I'd, I'd rent them. I'd rent the seasons and then burn copies of them and then return them <laughs> just fast so that I had them, you know? And, uh, yeah, that, that's what I would do. I would just rent them, make copies, and send them back. Um, and I had so many copies. I wouldn't even watch them. You know, I would just try to have such a fast turnover I could get as much as I could in them. Uh, but, yeah, I, re- I remember doing that, man. Um, you know, getting the three-disc plan where you could have three discs at a time. Yep. I remember all that. That's incredible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's funny. So now, was that sort of the bridge between the video store and streaming services? Because Netflix wasn't oh, streaming at the time. So. No, no, it wasn't. And I 100%, I think that was the first step toward having that ease of access. You didn't have to drive anywhere. It comes straight to your door. Um, I, so I do think it was like the middleman in between the video store or the physical medium and the streaming. You know, um, they were just one step away. They were They just had to figure out how to get you the movie without having to send it to you physically, right. um, mm-hmm. which they, which they did, um, you know, and I think they came along at a perfect time. They had a perfect plan because if you remember blockbuster tried to do the same thing and yeah. it didn't take off. Right. So um, yeah, Netflix just hit happened to be the first one and they did it right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So aside from Texas Chainsaw, um, do you have a, like a, a handful of favorite horror movies or even, as you mentioned before, like the ones that were shot on VHS? Yeah, yeah. Um, so like I said, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 74 is my favorite movie of all time. But now a lot of the ones that I really like um, was the shot on video ones of the 80s and not where they were. 
they weren't really a well done movie or anything, but I could see that this was somebody that was really trying. They had a vision. They, they had a lot of passion for it. Um, I really enjoyed truth or dare and killing spree from Tim Ritter, um, cannibal hookers and demon queen from Donald farmer was really good. Um, five, five, five has got a great cover art, but the movie's horrible. Um, <laughs> lunch meat by Kirk Alex, same thing. Great cover art and great idea, but the movie was bad. Um, but I love all those and all those are either uh, shot on eight millimeter or shot on video. Um, you know, because it was just so easy to shoot on video back then. And video stores were booming so much that guaranteed a video store is going to buy your movie if it's available on video, even if it's horrible. Right. Um, right. So yeah, some of those, some of those are my favorite ones. Uh, Cannibal camp out by John McBride is a hugely pivotal movie for me because that was probably the first shot on video movie I've seen. And I got it because of the cover art and I watch it now and it's not a really well done movie, but at like eight or nine years old, watching with my mom, it seemed like such a scary movie, you know, yeah. like it was just, it seemed so real and gritty and raw. Um, but yeah, that, that was, that was a huge pivotal, pivotal moment in my life. I uh, was watching cannibal camp out for sure. Wow. That's awesome. So um, we've got a, a series within the show that we, Chris and I've been doing where um, we're trying to help people introduce others to horror movies. And, um, okay. and, and of course there's no, exact way to do it so our method our, our recommendation is we're starting with the universal classics and we've okay. we've gone back and we've talked about all the dracula movies the invisible mans the frankenstein and the wolfman films and we're going to be moving on to the 50s and do the creature from the black lagoon um what what i'm sorry where would you recommend somebody start if they were going to get into horror movies um and uh, you want me to say pertaining to the universe monsters or in general horror movies uh, in general, horror movies can be any any in kind. General we horror. just happen to choose the universal ones. Um, I would honestly pick what I consider classics. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street would be a great start. Mm -hmm. um, I, if I picked a Friday the Thirteenth, I probably wouldn't pick the first one. I'd probably pick like part four. You know, right when he's like full in, he has his hockey mask, like he's all in. Uh, so yeah, I'd say Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the Thirteenth, part four, um, something along those lines. Is probably what I would get. Halloween, Halloween would be a great one. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, that's a classic. Um, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is my favorite movie. I'd love to say that, but I don't think that's a good starting point. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, if I had to pick, I'd probably say Halloween. I'd probably say the original Halloween. Nice, awesome. nice, nice. So, when is the documentary going to be released? So, I hope to start editing in April. Um, I've got a couple other film projects I'm working on with some friends throughout April. So if it might push it a little bit into May before I'm completely done editing, but I hope that by the mid mid of May we're completely done and we have a product done ready to roll. Awesome, awesome. Well, we That's definitely awesome. want to have you come back when you when you release it. And we can talk about that. Um, yeah, I'd love to. Can you tell the folks at home how to find you online? Yeah, so we use Facebook a lot. That's our primary. We have Facebook and Twitter, but the easiest way to find us just go to mom and pop doc doc dot com. Um, a page of call that has all of our links. It's got our IMDb. It's got our YouTube link. It's got our Facebook. It's got our Twitter. So whatever social media you use, you can kind of click there and it'll take you straight to it. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, yeah, Bobby, um, you've got an open invitation to come back at any time to promote, you know, the, your next project or just talk about movies. Awesome, man. I'd love to. Thank you very much. Oh, and I, I didn't ask. Uh, can you tell us about your um, video podcast? Yeah, yeah. So we just started it. Um, a buddy of mine, Tyler, uh, that is a, a wonderful cinematographer, and my friend Josh, who's uh, 
he works at a, a big haunted attraction that's been here for about 30 years, like a local one called Booger Woods. Uh, me, him, and Tyler all started a, just a little podcast where we talk about movies. Uh, we're still kind of toward the beginning of it. Uh, we're only about four or five episodes in, but really what we focus on is movies and the filmmaking aspect of it, uh, since we all like to work on movies. So we'll talk about you know movies that we've seen, what gets us excited about it, and then we'll also talk about our projects uh, or we'll have guests on. Like we had David Howard Thornton from uh, Terrifier on talking about the filmmaking aspect. Uh, we talked to some cosplayers that do, you know, parts in movies uh, if they need like background work and stuff like that. And we just talked to uh, the guy that did the makeup special effects on the new Scream. And then he goes all the way back to Killer Crocodile, an Italian horror movie he worked on. He worked on Ninja Turtles, the live action Ninja Turtles from 1990. Wow. wow. Yeah. So we had him on and, you know, wonderful episode. And he had so much knowledge. Uh, but we talked to him. He worked on the Lost Boys pilot for the TV show that was never made or never finished past the pilot so huh. yeah dude had a, a ton of ton of stuff so yeah we just we just cover filmmaking and movies basically um on the on the podcast and it's a video podcast uh well it started out as a video podcast on youtube but i think we're just going to go solely to audio and be oh. on spotify that kind of thing interesting interesting nice and uh, can you briefly touch upon um universe retro and the tiny terracon yeah yeah so universe retro uh is is pretty much how i make my money um, I started a little over a year ago um, during COVID. My job kind of changed. I'd worked for AT&T for years and years. And uh, when the job changed, it basically changed to a telemarketing job over the phone. And I did not want to do that. So, uh, you know, I talked to my wife. We decided I'm leaving AT&T and I'm going to jump into this venture that I've kind of always did for fun, which is, you know, basically thrifting, buying retro stuff and then reselling. Um, so that's what I do. I do a little bit of stuff on Facebook, but primarily I do it on eBay. You can check out all my stuff, you know, by just searching the seller uh, Universe Retro on eBay. Um, and it just sells anything that I, I tell everybody it's stuff that I grew up liking. I really don't go outside my wheelhouse. If I know about it, I'll sell it. If I don't know about it, I don't even deal with it. Uh, but, you know, t shirts, uh, retro vintage t shirts, band shirts, video games, comic books, toys, movies, stuff like that. Um, and then Tiny Terracon, we started last year, me and my friend Jacob. There was no affordable horror convention in our area for people so we thought let's do a smaller scale horror convention call it tiny terracon we have a handful of guests it only costs five or ten bucks to get in and then people have an opportunity to meet these people from the movies without having to pay fifty dollars to get into a big you know horror convention um so last year we started it it went really great we planned it all the first one in two weeks we got felissa rose dave sheridan r.a mahelnoff who played leatherface in part three and uh we had uh, adam minarovich from ankle biters walking dead stuff like that um it went great really great so we're planning the next one this year we got naomi grossman from american horror story uh ari layman from friday the 13th um, we're gonna have a total of 10 guests this year and wow. we decided next year we're gonna go to two days and we're dropping the tiny because it ain't tiny yeah you know so uh <laughs> yeah so uh we're gonna be uh north carolina terracon starting next year so uh so yeah pretty much just staying busy that's awesome that's awesome nice well, good for you, man. Thanks for joining us today. And like I said, you know, you have an open invitation to come back anytime and talk about whatever you want to. That'd be great. I'd love it, man. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So that was awesome, huh? Yeah, that was awesome. You know, and it brought back a lot of memories of uh, going to the video store again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. I, I didn't bring up um, at one point when I was working at Blockbuster, a buddy of mine got became... Um, not the general manager, but like one of the managers of the store. So like he would 
you know, close the store and everything. And yeah. it was me, him, and this uh, girl that worked there. Um, you know, Blockbuster was always open till midnight. So after midnight, uh, you know, he locked up, and we were supposed to clean up, and uh, we ended up having a water balloon fight. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome. And nothing got damaged, surprisingly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And, and nobody saw remnants of it the next day? Um, I don't recall. I, I wasn't in the next day, so I don't, if they did, okay. they probably figured some <laughs> little kid left it there or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's one thing I didn't like about working at Blockbuster, because I was in college, so I would only work like Fridays and Saturdays or Saturdays and Sundays. And you'd close at midnight, and then it took you two hours to go through the whole damn store to clean up the messes that everybody made. You know, it's like, because you had the oh. cover box... And then the video behind it. Right. And so people would like, they'd move, they'd move them around. They would like, oh, it would just be a disaster at the end of the day. Yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah. So, well, yeah, folks, we will let you know when, um, when his uh, documentary comes out. Mom and Pop, the indie video store boom of the 80s and 90s. So we'll let you guys know that. Okay, folks, that is all the time we have today. Be sure to check out Bobby's documentary, Mom and Pop, the indie video store boom of the 80s and 90s, when it comes out. And we will, of course, let you know when it comes out. You can send your feedback to thenisnow42 at gmail.com. You can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group. Then Is Now podcast is a proud member of the Dorkening Podcast Network. So please be sure to check out the other great shows there at thedorkening.com. And you can find me on my website, which is storiesmotion.com. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Stories in Motion. You can also visit our website at havenpodcast.com, where you'll find our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and Spaghetti Western movies. And while you're there, check out the Patreon and Public links to get some exclusive stuff. And Then Is Now is on YouTube, so please visit youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1 to get the latest videos as well as other fun videos. Please subscribe to our YouTube page and, and hit that little bell so you get all the notifications when we post, post a new one. And also share the video versions of our podcast with your friends and get them to subscribe as well. Don't forget to go wherever you download your podcast from. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, please leave us great reviews there so that more listeners can find us. You can find us on all the podcasting apps, especially the big three, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Class dismissed. Now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media.
For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.